Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, coming to you right here from the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum, located in historic downtown Pahuska, Oklahoma. As always, I got my co-host with me right here, Mr. Jimbo Snively, rodeo historian extraordinaire. Hey, Jimbo, how you doing today? And who do we have? Hey, Cody boy, it's just another great day in Osage, man. And boy, we got a special guest today. We've got Mr. Barry Corbin, who's a well-known actor, needs no introduction really, but first time I saw him was on Urban Cowboy playing Uncle Bob, and he's played in so many movies and westerns, TV show, Northern Exposure. He played on The Closer TV show, and uh, everybody remembers him from uh, when he played Roscoe on Lonesome Dove, just a great part. And he's just such an authentic actor, uh, every role he plays. And uh, we're just tickled to death to have him here at the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum. And Barry, welcome to the Cowboys of the Osage podcast. Well, thank you. It's good to be here, Jimbo. We, uh, you know what? If, if any of y'all out there have not been here, this is worth the whole trip, no matter where you live, to, to uh, Pahuska, Oklahoma, to the Cowboy Hall of Fame in honor of Ben Johnson. Uh, Ben Johnson was uh, was called son around here. His dad was Ben Johnson, uh, but nobody outside here knows that. Just uh, just folks here. So uh, anyway, come come by here. It, it's uh, you. It's it's amazing what you'll see. Hey Barry, let's just get started here. What brings you? to the great town of Pahuska right now. Well, I'm doing a movie, and they haven't released me to say what it is yet. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it, but it is a big-budget movie, and it's one of them things that's going to be in contention for an Oscar, I'm pretty sure. The last one I was in that was in contention for an Oscar, I only had one scene in it. It was No Country for Old Men, and it won the Oscar for Best Picture. And uh, this one, I think, is, is going to top that one. I know we can't get into it really, Jimbo, but I think that we're going to have a slew of Oscar winners right out of this movie. Everyone will know about the movie when it comes out, and it's going to be a big one. There's going to be a lot of publicity on it. Yeah, I'll really be surprised if it doesn't get a lot of nominations and win its share of the awards. Yep. It'll be a common household name when it comes out. Yes, I guarantee sir. you that. Well, he's been a part of a lot of common household named movies. Right. But I want to know about your first movie. Urban Cowboy. That was your first, first big-time movie. movie. Wow. First, first, uh, theater, uh, first uh, uh, studio movie that I did. I'd done a couple of TV movies and a couple of TV uh, episodic shows before that. But before uh, Urban Cowboy, I'd been working for... Uh, 15 years as a stage actor. I worked on stage. Really? Played all kind of stuff that's not me. But uh, now that I'm in the movies, they like me to be me. Yeah. Well, you play it pretty good. Well, if I, if I, if I play something else, it confuses the audience. So they <laughs> say, no, just be you. <laughs> well, where are you from originally, Barry? I'm from Lubbock, uh, Texas. I was born in La Mesa, Texas, about 60 miles south of there. And a lady one time was talking to me, and I was with Ben. They said, you know, you guys sound alike. Ben said, no, we don't sound alike. We just ate the same kind of dirt when we was kids. (laughs) 
which is about right. We used to eat dirt by the plate full, just out in the, out in the, outside. <laughs> La Mesa, Texas, Jimbo. I got two great memories from La Mesa, Texas. One, some of the best Mexican food I ever ate was in La Mesa, Texas, right there. There's a little Mexican food joint. I don't know the name of it, but it's right there, right when you come into La Mesa. Number two, we were there as a kid for a steer roping they had on a ranch just right outside of town in La Mesa. And boy, howdy, we stayed in the worst hotel I've ever stayed at in my life in La Mesa. And I, I remember it to this day from being a little kid. Nice folks that ran it, but holy no, it's a nice It's a nice town, but there's not a whole lot of stuff to do, and you can't get there accidentally. I mean, if you're out roaming around, you might stumble on it somewhere or another, but it's not a place where you're going to get to accidentally, unless you're going from, from Lubbock to Big Spring. Yes, sir. And that's about the only way you can get there. La Mesa, and, uh, Texas. And it was as dry as the land at the time I was there. And still is. It's dry most of the time out there, I think. <laughs> yeah. Except for the time we went, Jimbo, and it was a muddy booger at that roping. I'll never forget. I, I can't remember the name of the ranch. It was just right outside of town. Had a great big roping arena out right east there. Of town right off the Cap Rock. I know it, but I can't think of the name. Yeah. La Mesa, Texas, Jimbo. Yeah. They got good Mexican food and a good roping arena there. And, yeah. and the chicken fried steak. Uh, you know, this this is not a popular belief in Oklahoma, but the chicken fried steak was invented at the Green Hut Cafe in La Mesa, Texas. Wow. That's pretty historic right that there. It is, because I now, like chicken fried steak. Yeah, it was invented there. The cook, there's two people there, and then one of them ordered fried chicken, the other ordered the steak, and he, he, and he chicken fried the steak. And they liked it so much, they just kept it. Did they start putting gravy on it there, too? Oh, yeah. He put gravy all over it. So we could thank La Mesa, Texas, for the chicken fried steak as we know it today. Yep. You bet you. Yes, sir. And there's a lot of good cowboys from out in that country, too. Yeah, there are. Did you know a lot of the cowboys out there growing up? Uh, some, yeah. The, the, they'd come into town on Saturday, you know, when we were, when I was a little kid, you know, we'd go to the Majestic Theater, and it'd be a whole bunch of kids and about... Uh, six or eight cowboys from the ranches around, sitting there watching uh, the, the Durango Kid and uh, Wild Bill Elliott and Rocky Lane and all those, all those guys. We, uh, we didn't like the guys that sang that much. And when they start singing a song, we'd start throwing popcorn at the screen <laughs> and yelling. And, and the old cowboys would too. Well, the cowboys were probably about 20 years old. They weren't old. They were about 20. When did the acting bug hit you when you were in, in that, La Mesa? In that theater, in, that, in the Majestic Theater. I thought I could do that. <laughs> and then I never grew up. <laughs> you know, you just stay at it long enough, and you're either going to just starve to death or you're going to make something of yourself, I guess. Yes, sir. The more you do something, the better you get at it, yeah, I guess. And I, I, I just kept at it. Did you have any kind of cowboy background or anything? I, I did a little bit, you know. I, I used to ride cutting horses and that kind of thing, but uh, not as far as really working. I, I'd go out uh, until I turned about 70. I'd go out on some of the ranches uh, around in in Texas, you know, the, uh, the J.A. and uh, some of those. My grandpa used to work cattle, for the J.A.'s you know? in the real early days. Yeah, yeah. He was... Uh, 
Well, I did a one-man show. I still do it once in a while. Uh, it's Charlie Goodnight's Last Night. I played Charlie Goodnight at 93 and uh, go through his whole life in two hours. Yeah. I ran a little less than two hours. Charlie Goodnight, fascinating story. Yeah, yeah. He they, was an interesting fella. They got a good museum kind of dedicated to him right out there. Did you know, in he, your tried to, uh, he tried to crossbreed a pig and a goat. No, sir. He did. He, tried, he wanted to crossbreed everything he could. He, hmm. he crossbred the the uh, cow and the, and the bison, and uh, he, he little successful at that. Most of them were sterile, you know. But he he did. They did have some success with that. But all that other stuff, you know, I, you can't breed uh, uh, those things as far apart as pigs and goats. But he tried. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So what takes a kid from La Mesa? How do you end up on the stage back east in, uh, in New York? In New York, yes, sir. Well, that's a good question. I was uh, back in the or back in those the days in the in the late fifties. I just I absolutely wanted to escape West Texas, and I had a map on my wall uh, in my bedroom, and there was an arrow pointing. I had a circle around Lubbock an arrow pointing direct to New York City. And I wrote, toward civilization. <laughs> and I got to New York City and I realized they're no more civilized in a lot of ways. And a lot of ways they're much less civilized than we are. Nobody knows how to be polite up there. You know, when they're just trying to be friendly, they're rude. Somebody asked me in an outdoor drama I was working in in Boone, North Carolina, said, uh, said, how far north do the rednecks go? <laughs> and I said, well, you go up to the North Pole, and there's one or two up there, but then you go down the other side, and the further south you get, the more there are. And you come around to the South Pole, and there's just a few down there, and then you come up through Latin America, and all that, and then you, they, they just keep going. And the most of them are right where we are, but then they, they, don't, they don't get much scarcer until you get to northern Canada. Oh, okay. So anywhere in the United States you go, there's, uh, there's, there's rednecks. Yes, sir. <laughs> we got a high population of them around here. Oh, yeah, there's a high population everywhere in this part of the country, and they're my people, too. Oh, know. mine, too. I used to I used to wear a cowboy hat in New York City, and people would come out of the delicatessens and says, "What are you looking for? <laughs> <laughs> you need directions?" I'd have told them, "There's a new sheriff in town, New Yorker. Right. You're looking at him." I don't know. Just kidding. Yeah, we had fun. When did you first meet Ben Johnson? I met Ben. Uh, uh, let's see. The first time I met Ben was in a movie called. Uh, uh, Stranger on My Land was the name of it, but I think they released it under uh, uh, Eminent Domain. I think that was the name they released the thing under. It was a TV movie with Tommy Lee Jones and Ben played his father. And uh, they were a family of ranchers who, who's uh, part of their ranch was going to be condemned by the government to, as a 
firing range for the Air Force. And uh, they kept losing and they lost everything in court and then they took up arms and decided they were gonna, they were gonna fight the government. And uh, I played a marshal who was caught in the middle. I was on their side, but I had, I had to carry out the orders of the government. And uh, I ended up killing the villain, bad guy, Terry O'Quinn played him. And he, he was trying to shoot Ben, or no, shoot Tommy Lee. Ben died in the thing. Ben was, uh, he, play, he played the father who was an old rancher and he just had his knees replaced. And so they wanted, they had a scene where he ropes a guy off a tractor. The guy's fixing to tear down some trees or something and he, come, he comes out and ropes him off the tractor. And he said, he said, uh, well, let's let the, let's let the uh, Wrangler do that, you know, double me. And he said, I, I don't feel like roping that kid on horseback right now. You know, he'd, he'd get on the horse and ride, but he, his knees were hurting him, so he didn't want to do do the thing. And uh, so he uh, watched the rehearsal, this, this uh, wrangler roping this kid off the tractor. Well, kid caught the, caught the uh, guy on the tractor around the neck and pulled him off. <laughs> and Ben said, well, I guess I better do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he got on the horse and rope the kid off the tractor first take, you know, and then did another one for safety. And that is it. I asked him at lunch, I said, well, did you, you didn't want that guy riding trying to double you? And he said, oh, no, I didn't care about that. I just didn't want him to kill that kid on the tractor. <laughs> <laughs> Not very many actors can show up the Wrangler probably on uh, when it was, comes to roping or riding or anything. He was uh, he was sitting there. Another story about Ben. He was sitting there horseback. Him and Tommy Lee and a couple of other guys lined up horseback. I was standing there with a couple of deputies. I was I was on on foot. You know, standing there with a couple of deputies, facing off these four guys and uh, trying to deliver them some papers and things. Well. Uh, ben sitting up there, he's looking over the camera at something, and he backs his horse out and he takes his rope and builds him a loop, starts loping around the, around the back of everybody, and I'm facing forward, what in the world is he? And I heard thump, <laughs> turning around to look. Ben had uh, they had the guy Wrangler had one of these uh, had one of these uh, cows roped around the neck, and she's about to pull his saddle off. She's pulling real hard. And ben wrote saw that, and he he rode around there and, and healed her, and threw her down, and uh, he he turned to the director and says, "I'm sorry, sir. I thought they was going to scatter on us." <laughs> <laughs> So that was my first meeting with Ben. We'd, we'd eat lunch together and joke and carry on. And he recognized that I was from somewhere familiar to him, so we got along pretty good from the first. I saw you holding your hand right there, acting like you were roping. It looks like you might know what you're doing there, Barry. A little bit. <laughs> I can't get my 
I can't get my, I got a busted rotator cuff. Oh, okay. Ben used to try to get me to rope with him. I said, no, I, I, can, I, I can rope something, but it's going to take me three or four tries, and then uh, it, it ain't pretty anyway. And I try to let go. That wasn't the first human that Ben roped you were telling me about. Lat, when, uh, when you were here last time, yeah, you took one look at my long hair, and then uh, you started telling some people <laughs> a Ben Johnson story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were up in Denver. Ben and Joe Crow, I think it was, up in Denver when, when, they, were, when they were on the road, rope, you know, rodeoing. And uh, that is about the height of the hippie days, you know. Or beatnik, I guess they were then. Not so much hippy. And uh, they went down to uh, the some area in Denver where they all hung out. And they both got a little bit of too much of who hit John. And uh, then they go out and they're looking around, all these people with long hair. So Ben and Joe, they rope this uh, this hippie or beatnik or whatever you call them. <laughs> Threw him down and roached him. Took their horse clippers and roached him. Well, they came and arrested him, of course. Ben said, until that, that very minute, I never knew it was against the law to roach a hippie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they threw him in jail. Some people had to come get him out. But he's he was uh, he was a sure enough cowboy. I mean, there's no no question about that. For the folks that don't understand what the word roach means, oh yeah, fill them they, in on that, Barry. They give it. They give him a burr haircut. They just they just skinned him down to the skin. <laughs> when you shave a horse's mane off all the way right yeah. down to where there's nothing left, it's called a roach. Yeah, you know, old, so. uh, uh, you know Dick Farnsworth. He was a stunt man and an actor. Sure. And he, uh, when he was uh, young, he got stranded in Fort Worth over in the mule barns. He was roaching uh, uh, mules for the army. His, you know, mane and tail roached both, you know. And so he, he was back there doing that, and those uh, old clippers had shorts in them. So they'd shock him, and they'd shock the mules. The mules would get testy and kick him and bite him. He said he was trying to get out of there, but he was just broke. They weren't paying him enough to save any money. He just absolutely broke. Some guy said, well, there's a guy over here at the uh, Cattleman Hotel who's uh, in a poker game up on the second floor, and he likes cowboys. So go over there and talk to him. He might help you out. And uh, his name's Benny Binion. Mm -hmm. So he goes over there, and he finds Benny talks to him. He said, I need I need thirty dollars to get back to Los Angeles. I, I just can't stand this. I'm there I'm roaching these mules and they're kicking me. It's just you know, not gonna be too long before one of them breaks my leg. And uh, I just need some money to get out of here. If I could borrow thirty dollars from you, I'd pay you back whenever I, I, I can. And uh, so many takes out a hundred dollars hundred dollar bill and hands it to him. He said, you're gonna need to eat along the way. Here you go. You can pay me back uh, when you can. So he gave him a hundred dollars. This is 1943 or something. And uh, he bought his bus ticket, 
ate real well, ate steak on the way back, and uh, got back to Los Angeles, and it, it was on his mind for a long time. Then finally he was success as an actor, after working as a stuntman all this time, and he and Ben were in the Golden Nugget there in Vegas. And uh, Ben said, let's go upstairs and see Benny. And Dick said, oh, I owe him $100. He said, well, go, let's go upstairs and you can pay him back. And so they went upstairs and Ben introduced uh, Dick to, uh, to Benny. And he, Benny, and he says, uh, Mr. Mr. Benyon, I, I owe you, I, I, I borrowed $100 from you in 1943. And uh, I'd like to pay you back with interest. And he said, I'll oh, forget about the interest and uh, just take that $100 and put it on the roulette wheel. If you win, we're even, and if you lose, we're even. <laughs> so that's what he did. He went and put $100 on the roulette wheel and lost it and was even for that, even with that loan. Yeah. You know, for people that don't know who Benny Binion is, he was a, <clears throat> he was a, a crime boss out of Fort Worth, Texas that moved to Las Vegas and opened Binion's Horseshoe Casino and started the World Series of Poker and yeah. really helped out with getting the National Finals Rodeo put in Las Vegas, Nevada. Very, yeah. very great guy for our and Western Way life. He also did a lot, of, uh, a lot of good work for a lot of charities, too. Oh, yeah. He, he, was, a, he was a good man. He, uh, he had buck and stock, too, in rodeos at one time, and, and he, he was always willing to help a cowboy. Yeah. Know? You know, he had a professional rodeo team that was out of Kansas City. Binions, Kansas City, the Kansas City Binions or something like that was the name of them that traveled around. It was a pretty neat deal. You don't hear too many people talking about Benny Binion these well, days. Well, uh, Benny's family, well, they was all cotton farmers. He went off to be a gambler, and he got into a bunch of other uh, stuff, too. But he, gambling was his main deal. And... Uh, you know, he'd gamble on anything and win, usually. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't a dumb gambler, that's for sure. No. Benny Binion, one of the most iconic names in the world of Western stuff, anything. In Vegas. In Vegas. Yeah. I got a good story I'll have to tell you about Benny Binion after this. Has to well, I'll tell you national one about finals. him, too, that I can't tell on the radio. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> when you got the call... For the big urban cowboy movie. What well, were you I thinking? Was, uh, I'd written a play called uh, Sucker Rod Smith and the Cisco Kid. And it was, uh, we were going to do that at a little theater down the street from Paramount. And I was casting it at the time. I was going to play Sucker Rod Smith, you know, which is the lead part. And I was hoping to get some, uh, get some attention, you know, because I, I couldn't get arrested. Yes, sir. In uh, California at that time. Well, I could get arrested, but I couldn't get anything else. So I'm, uh, I'm there trying to cast this play, and I get a uh, call through the box office. We didn't have any cell phones in from my wife telling me that, uh, that they wanted to see me at Paramount for this movie. And so I just walked over there. I was wearing an old, old sweat-stained, broke-down hat and some been blue shirt and some old Levi's and some, some wore out uh, uh, 
rough out boots, Acme boots, I think they were. Now I went over there and uh, went in and uh, uh, the director, uh, Jim Bridges was there and the writer Aaron Latham was and, uh, and the casting director was Marion Dougherty, one of the best casting directors in Hollywood at the time. So I went in and I read a couple of scenes for him and uh, you know, I wasn't thinking anything really much about it and then I went back and went, kept going on with the casting. I didn't hear anything for a couple of weeks and then finally uh, they called and uh, my agent called and said, uh, uh, I think you've got the part, but you've got to meet John. I said, who's John? <laughs> he said, John Travolta. And I said, all right, he's that kid on, uh, on that school program, isn't he? And he said, yeah. I said, okay, well, I'll meet him. What's he doing in it? He says, they said he's playing an uh, oil well or a, a petrochemical worker in Texas. And I said, well, isn't he from New York or somewhere? They said, yeah, he is. And I said, well, okay. And I went over and I walked in. I said hello to Jim and Aaron. Aaron was from, uh, I think, uh, Brownfield or somewhere. He's from out there in the cotton country. And uh, he'd written a, a, a magazine article for Esquire about, uh, about Gillies and the bucking bull and all that stuff. And that's where it came from. So they, they hired him to write the script. Well, anyway, I came in and I said hi to them. And then John comes strutting in, you know, like in Saturday Night Fever, struts in. He said, we're going to have a lot of fun on this one. I said, yeah, I bet you are. And nobody told me I had anything. He just, and I was wearing the same old ragged clothes I wore in to start with. So Jim Bridges said, why don't you go over to wardrobe and uh, trade that hat in, because we'll use that in the movie and trade those boots in, they'll give you a new pair of boots and another hat to break in. All right, I thought, well, that's a cheap way to get my clothes. So I went over there to the uh, thing, and they gave me a brand new pair of Tony Lama Lizard boots and a Stetson straw hat. I thought, well, this beats what I'm trading in, so okay, fine. So I took it put on those boots walk back. Pretty soon I'm back at the theater strutting like like John Travolta, you know. And uh, go in there and then they call and say, you've got it. And so I had to hire somebody else to play Sucker Rod Smith. And so I called uh, Burton Gilliam up. Well, Burton never done the play before. He did the Paper Moon and he did uh, did uh, uh, Blazing Saddles and some of those things, but he'd never done a uh, play. So he came in playing the lead in my play, and uh, then I I left and went to Houston and started doing Urban Cowboy. When they handed me my my first, when they handed me my first uh, uh, money, I thought it was my pay and it was my per diem. <laughs> so I lived on my per diem out there and just had my pay sent to my bank in, in, in California. 
by the time I'm finished with the movie, I bought a house. Wow. <laughs> you know, and then I get another, another job. I get uh, uh, stir crazy. You know, with Gene. Oh, that's one of me and Jimbo's favorite movies. We were talking about it uh, yeah, day before and, yesterday. Uh, and, uh, and Richard Pryor and directed by Sidney Poitier. So I'm walking in high cotton. By gosh, I did that one. Then I get uh, uh, any which way you can, starring Clint Eastwood. You know what was the big and, what was the big orangutan like oh, on that he, movie? He was uh, he was all right. Clyde. I, I didn't ever look at him. I I kind of looked down. They said, "Don't look him in the eye." I said, "I'm not going to look at him anywhere." <laughs> right now, turn, Clyde. Right. I had a cigar in my mouth. I sat. He came, sat down on the bar stool next to him in his trainer says if he takes that cigar away from you let him have it and i said i'll let him have my clothes <laughs> he can have anything i've got <laughs> they never did try he did look at the cigar <laughs> i could see him looking at it but he never did make a try for it what kind of guy was richard Pryor, barry i mean i he's one of my heroes well, as richard, far as just a comedy richard guy was was a, it, it, he was a, a funny guy uh but not when he was uh, not trying to be funny. Okay. I mean, you know, he, uh, most comedians are, are, are not real uh, thrill, thrilled and happy people. Most of them are, are uh, kind of dangerous folks <laughs> and about half nuts. And Richard would come in whenever they'd close those, because those, uh, we shot this thing in, in a prison that was really a prison and had prisoners in it. The extras you see when we're down in the yard there, they're in maximum security prison. These guys are. I mean, they're they're killers and people. Well, me and Jimbo, we've entered a prison rodeo. There's one in McAllister, Oklahoma yeah. here. So they used to have the professional ropers do all the timed events. Yeah. And then the prisoners, they did all the rough stock events, but it was behind the walls down there at the state yeah. prison in McAllister. So I know what you're talking about, Barry. Well, we were walking in there, and everybody else besides me was wearing uh, prison clothes. I was wearing a suit and tie because I'm the warden. And so all these prisoners would come up to me and tell me all the false reasons they were in there and how they got railroaded. (laughs) I went up to one one, uh, guard, and I said, you know this guy down here, that fellow right there, he told me that he's in here for 30 years for possession of less than an ounce of marijuana. Is that true? He said, well, kinda. Said he got six months for the marijuana in county jail. He forgot to tell you about the fella he killed in there. (laughs) So, you know, that's the kind of deals we went through. What about Gross, Gross, Grossberger? Was that his name, the big guy that did you know, the, that sang a, so good? He was a musician and a, an Olympic wrestler. He, he was a, a sure enough wrestler, not one of these guys that, uh, that do the showbiz wrestling. He was a sure enough wrestler. And he was also a philosopher, and he, he was getting, a, I believe, a Ph.D. in something in either Princeton or Yale. He was a, uh, and he was very, he stayed by himself, he didn't, uh, but he'd get on that truck, get on that van, and every time he'd get get on the van, he'd put his, put his foot on the van, get up in there. He weighed about, uh, 
nearly 400 pounds, 350, nearly 400 pounds. And get on that van, that van, and go like that. And Richard would go And he was terrified. <laughs> he was just absolutely terrified of the guy. I liked him. I mean, we, we had some nice conversations, but he didn't talk to many people. What about Gene Wilder? When you brought him in to your office to see you're checking out all the new prisoners coming in to see if there, you got any rodeo stars on your hand. You know, Gene could ride that thing. He was a very athletic fellow. He could ride that thing right off. I mean, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't have much training on it or anything else he got on it. And he liked it. He, he thought it was fun. He'd also play basketball with these killers and things. He'd be elbowing them, knocking them out of the way, and Richard would be over in the corner going, <laughs> like that. He'd just sit in the corner all day until they told him to work. And when he was, when we were in the, in the thing, and he went like this to me, and, and I, I looked at him, and he went, <laughs> he wasn't joking. I mean, <laughs> that's his reaction. To be an actor, me and Jimbo, we don't know anything about this this type of business. You know, our museum is more to the cowboy side than the Hollywood side over here. So to be an actor, what exactly do you, do you got to be a member of a, a certain association? Like, well, to be a professional cowboy, you got to be a yeah, member of the, the PRCA. So it used to be the Turtles. Yep. Yep, started yeah. off as the Turtles. And yeah, yeah. Oh, you got to be a member. Uh, well, you don't have to be uh, when you start out a member of the Screen Actors Guild. Okay. And then there's AFTRA, which is uh, uh, American Federation of uh, uh, Television Radio Artists. Yes, sir. And then there's AGVA, which is uh, which is Variety Acts and that kind of thing. And then there's Actors Equity which is uh, uh, the stage actors. So I'm a member, of, I was a member of Actors' Equity first. Then I got to be a member of, uh, of Screen Actors Guild in 72, which makes, me, makes it uh, 50 years ago nearly. And then uh, I got in uh, after when I started doing television. So I'm a member of three of the unions. I, th I think that's all I am. Am I a member of anything? Oh, I'm a member of the Academy, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, which votes on the Academy Awards and gets free, gets free movies every year. That's the only reason I'm a member of that. Do you get to watch all the movies before they come out? Yeah, they send me the CDs. They used to send me tapes, now they send me CDs. And before that, I could go into the movie theater and show my, uh, my card, my academy card, and they'd let me in free with, a, with, a, with one guest. Barry, Lonesome Dove. Um, people tell me all the time it's the best Western they ever saw. And I have to argue with them. I think it's the best anything I ever saw. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to be proud of, of that, don't you? I'm proud of that. I, I'll tell you, it's, it's one of the things that I, I read that book, and I told my agent after I read it, I said, look, they're going to make a miniseries out of this Lonesome Dove, and I want to be just anything in it. I don't care what it is. Just, just, I just want to be in it. 
and uh, they uh, forgot. They forgot I brought that up. So they came to town to cash. They were only in town for like a week. And they were only seeing people that they requested to see. And they requested me to come in and uh, read for Roscoe Brown. And that was one of my favorite parts in the book. I love that character because he's, uh, he's like a child. He's lovable, though. Yeah. He's like, you know, you love him, he's like a child, and you want to protect him, and when Blue Duck kills him, that makes Blue Duck the meanest guy in the world. That rotten son of a gun. So uh, I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. So they, I was lucky enough to get to park and uh, had, a, had a great time playing it, but I wasn't there much. Everybody says, well, tell us about Lonesome Dove. I said, well, I was there for the first three weeks where I did a lot of my, all my stuff in Arkansas and in Texas was in, uh, up to the time that, uh, that, that uh, July saves me from the, from the bandage, uh, is in Texas from the very first to, to when that happens. Everything after that was shot uh, like four months later in New Mexico. So I went away and did three other movies came back and couldn't remember how I talked. So I had to, let, had to have him pay, play it back for me. And uh, so then uh, there's one, one little scene they picked up after I came back that was still in Texas where, I, where I'm hiding down in the, in, the, uh, in the trees and that old man's beating up the girl and I say, don't be a beating on that girl. And they did that after I was back, so I had I had uh, the stubble just just uh, kind of drawn on me. If you if you look close, you can see it, but you don't rec you don't spot it that much. And uh, but the rest of it was was uh, up in New Mexico. And the interesting thing, when I left there, everybody was happy. They were all just thrilled to be there. Duvall's wearing that hat around, strutting around like Gus. Oh, know? yeah. And uh, all of them just, just as happy as they could be. And I got back, and everybody wanted to fight. They were all mad. And uh, I, I went to, had a hamburger with, uh, with Tim Scott, who played P.I. And uh, I said, Tim, what is going on here? This, everybody was real happy. And it was just seemed like, uh, you know, they were the best of friends, and now everybody's mad at everybody else. And he said, cattle drive. <laughs> and so I, understand, I understood it immediately, and I said, well, okay, and then I've got the best part in the movie. Yeah. And he said, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> when did you realize that it was maybe going to be something special? Oh, when I read the book, yeah. I, I thought, you know, this, you know, it can't fail. And in, I don't know if you know this, the book, the, the story originally was written as a screenplay for Warner Brothers. They wanted to have something that, that uh, John Wayne, Henry Fonda, and Jimmy Stewart could do together. And uh, they commissioned McMurtry to write that script and he wrote it for John Wayne to play Call, Jimmy Stewart to play Gus, and uh, 
and Henry Fonda to play Jake Spoon. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a two-hour movie. And if it had been made, it probably would have been a good movie, but it wouldn't have been what you saw on the, on the uh, television thing because that was, uh, that was six hours of... Uh, they had six hours to tell that story. You can't tell that story in two hours without leaving too much out. Well, it's what was called a miniseries, you know. Yeah. A lot of people probably don't even know what that is today. But Yeah, no, they can't make them anymore. Yes, sir. Cost too much. Well, I, you know, a straight-to-TV movie, a miniseries, it's got to be one of the biggest ones ever. Yeah, well, that's, uh, I, would, I would think, uh, I would say that as far as... Uh, being changing the 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 world really, Lonesome Dove is is one of the one of the biggest. And you could say that uh, that uh, Roots was a big one. That was a big thing for you know. Yes, that people, was a big you one. Know, talking about slavery and stuff, that is a big one. But Lonesome Dove, I think, far and away, changed things socially more than. Uh, that and uh, and Urban Cowboy, Urban Cowboy started that whole Western dress craze. You had all these stockbrokers in New York walking around in, in the hobbling around in cowboy boots because they didn't know how to wear them. They'd get them too small, and and it was uh, it was comical to walk around New York and look at these guys crippling around. I hope they can't cripple themselves permanently. Some of them. <laughs> How many hours worth of honky-tonk dancing did you have to practice? Oh, not a lot. I already kind of knew how to do it. Yes, sir. It didn't make any difference. Bob knew how to do it anyway. <laughs> I'm, still in, uh, I'm still in contact with uh, Gator Connolly, who was one of the featured dancers in the thing. He still goes out and dances and tries to pretend he's 25. <laughs> You've done a lot of television shows too on top of some of the big movies i mean you've <laughs> co-starred i think with just about every major major movie guy there's there's ever been well not, just about not all of them <laughs> some of them maybe not george clooney i can't think of one with george clooney that's about it no, no, i never met george clooney no i I don't. I don't even know who I've worked with. I, if you if you name them, I can tell you if I worked with them or not. But I don't know. Sam Elliott. What was he like? Sam Elliott. Well, I've, Sam and I've been friends for thirty years at least. You know, we first thing we did together was a thing called uh, Murder in Texas, where he played this doctor who murdered his wife. And uh, so then, uh, but I, so I've done a lot of stuff with Sam. And uh, he's not exactly the guy that you expect him to be. He's uh, he's he's much more uh, much shyer. He said he said he always wanted to learn how to rope, but he can barely stay on the horse. <laughs> That's what he told me. He does all right. He does pretty well on the horse. You know, if Sam Elliott came to Pahuska, Jimbo. It'd be just about as big as Leo coming to Pusca, really, Leo DiCaprio that's here now. Because right. the women would go crazy. It'd oh, be yeah. like the Beatles coming to town if Sam oh, Elliott women, came here. The women are crazy about Sam. Sam's Sam scared of crowds. 
So if you if you one on one with him, you're fine. But if you bring two or three other people into it, he's like that. He doesn't know what to do. The uh, have you been on that show, The Ranch, with him quite a bit? Is yeah. That what I've been reading? Yeah, I was on. Uh, oh, I probably I'm in about three quarters of the shows. I didn't want to do a. Uh, regular on it because I wanted to be free to do other stuff. But when you were doing Northern Exposure, how long of the year did y'all have to stay up there? We, we didn't go to Alaska. We were up in Washington. Oh, okay. So if we'd gone to Alaska, we shot it in the winter time, so we'd have to be all night shoots, you know. So we shot it up in Washington, where we got at least six or seven hours of daylight. But. Uh, no, it was, uh, we were up there, um, probably eight months of the year, and uh, then uh, we'd either do other things or go home or whatever, but uh, it was probably eight months of the year while we were doing it. How long did that series run? Well, we started in 1989, we started, uh, we did the, the limited uh, the summer replacement show, which was eight episodes. And then that's all we did. It just, you know, we were contracted to do that. And then they said we, they had the option to pick us up by December 31st. And they didn't pick us up. And so it got to be in. Then they picked uh, the summer show up for at uh, uh, oh, for the eight episodes in I think it was in January, and it really took off then. I mean, it became a big hit by the time they showed the third or fourth show. So they called and said they they wanted us to they wanted us to come back, and I said, well, we're going to renegotiate. And they said, no, no, you weren't, we uh, we already made a deal. And I said. No, you. But if you look at the contract, it we're, we're finished. It, if by December thirty first, we're in the middle of January now. They said, "Oh, well, if we don't, if you don't do it, we won't do it." So I thought, well, I don't want to put these all these other people out of work. So okay, I'll do it. So I agreed to do it then. But then they picked it up for. Uh, I think uh, 18 episodes and then 36 episodes and then uh, there was some kind of a lawsuit and I'm not sure what it was but then they decided that they didn't want to keep doing it so they uh, kind of wound it down got another producer on it and all that different stuff every good thing must come to an end sometimes I guess yeah well it was uh, it was good while it lasted, but you know they make those things to be disposable. They don't make them run forever. It's not a career. A lot of those young actors think, well, I'm in a series now. That's a career. I can I can just lay back and not do anything. Well, then you're going to be out of work at the end of it. Unless you're like those uh, people that was on Friends, and I think they're still making oh, yeah. multi multi million dollars a year well, they, off of uh, their series. They actually. Uh, uh, we're in a situation just before uh, 
we came into it uh, where, where the actors were in control. You know, they could demand whatever they wanted to demand. By the time, uh, by, by the time Northern Exposure was in, they'd learned their lesson, and they wouldn't let us do. They wouldn't let us in that uh, situation. <laughs> Barry, I met your wife the other day, and I understand if you don't want to talk too much about her, but she seems like such a well. You married above your head about like I did. It seems like well, she's a she's the. She's about the most interesting person I ever met. Well, I'm telling you. She was uh, on the U.S. Olympic uh, field hockey team. She was uh, probably the first archival framer in the United States. She worked for the, uh, the, the uh, Museum of Modern Art in New York. And uh, she learned to trick rope when she was a child because she saw Monty Montana do it and she learned out of a book when she met Monty, Mon uh, Monty Montana she he taught her a lot more and then uh, she picked up a lot more from a lot of other people and by the time I know her she she's teaching she was teaching all the people on Will Rogers Follies how to trick rope and uh, she also is responsible for uh, rope and fool being on the being available. It's one of my favorite movies, Jimbo. Oh, yeah. I love it when he ropes that mouse yeah. and ties well, it to the she, bed stand. She's responsible for that for you seeing it. Oh, really? Yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't be around. You know, when I was a kid, I hate to cut you off, Barry. I know you're right in the middle of saying something. But Jimbo, I went and bought a hamster, and my mom is crazy, crazy scared of mice. But I come from a roping family. We were watching the roping fool. I was just a kid. I had the tape. Got it for Christmas. I went and bought a hamster from the from Walmart. Had it in a little box. Well, it chewed its way out. I was practicing roping it. I was practicing roping it just like Will Rogers, that little hamster. Yeah, yeah. Well, somebody asked me uh, who my who my influences were to get into the movies, and uh, one of them was Ben Johnson playing Sergeant Tyree, and another one was Will Rogers, both Oklahomans. And uh, I never did learn to trick rope. I, well, I can do a little bit, but not not much. And, uh, but I, I, you know, I just was a big fan of Will Rogers. He was, a, uh, as everybody in my, in my part of the country, they all, uh, you know, it was like uh, when he and Wiley Post went down, it was like uh, the like we lost Jesus or something, you know. Well, I agree. So, anyhow, that's uh, And we were talking about Joe, my wife. Yes, that's she, where we were at. She's back over there looking at me. Saying, no, she's the best. One of the most interesting anything. people I've ever yeah. met. She also and said she was a prop. Uh, she, she sold a lot of props to Hollywood. She had a, she had a prop company that she uh, started up about oh, 35, 40 years ago and uh, provided uh, guns and whips and uh, all kinds of weaponry and explosives. And the way she started it was she cornered the market because she couldn't find Samson's uh, spot car cord, which was the 
the rope, cotton rope that Will Rogers used in his trick rope, and she couldn't find it because they started making it with a, a nylon core, and that was not the same uh, uh, same rope. So she took the she took the <laughs> she took the 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 idea of, uh, of she, she had the idea to, to just call uh, Samson rope cord uh, or Samson spot cord and have them make uh, some more and she she said I'll guarantee I'll, I'll buy all of it so she cornered the market on it bought it all so all the trick ropers had to come to her for it and that's how I first met her I ordered a uh, I don't forget how many uh, uh, spool of spot cord. Yes, sir. I said, I need some uh, Samson spot cord, and I understand you're the only person that carries it. And we talked for a while, and I was, I think I was like your second or third customer that she had. And uh, I mean, outside of the normal trick ropers, you know. And so she remembered that. And, uh, and we later on we got together because she was giving away some uh, ropes that Monty Montana had made up because he'd, he'd make up a rope and if it didn't work right for him he'd send it back to her already made up yes sir with his brand written on it oh wow so I got one of them she sent she sent it to me and uh, then we started talking on the phone and we got together for lunch. Then we got together. She didn't like actors because she was in props all the time, you know. Most actors are jackasses. I mean, most of them. Know, most of them are. I mean, I got to I got to say that most of, most of them I don't want to deal with. I mean, outside of being on the camera, you know, there you, you don't want to talk to them because you can't talk about anything except. Uh, uh, what's what's the most trendy restaurant and all that stuff? I don't care. I just want some. I just want some eggs and sausage. I don't care what <laughs> restaurant it is. <laughs> but uh, anyway, she thought I was one of them. And it took me two or three times. I was going out. She finally. You know, the first time we went out, we went to a Mexican restaurant. And she thought I was going to talk about myself the whole time. Well, I said, uh, well, I'm, uh, I was born in La Mesa, Texas, raised in Lubbock and Austin, and uh, what about you? And uh, the more she talked, the more I thought, well, this is the most interesting person in the world. Like that fellow with the beard that drinks that Mexican beer, you know. She's the most interesting person in the world. And talking about beer, she doesn't drink. She never has drank. She doesn't smoke. Never has smoked a cigarette. She's on. She's she's right straight and narrow, as opposed to me. I said, well, "What in the hell does she see in me?" I don't know still, but I'm glad she does. She feels sorry for you. I think you wore her down. <laughs> Well, she probably thinks I need help. Yeah. You can't survive without her. Yeah. That's it. She's a good one. She is a good one.
Hey, I was watching a movie you were in with Sam Elliott just the other day, and I think you're going to be playing it here in Pahuska, Conniger. Conniger, yeah. And I saw you whipping up there on the stagecoach, and I looked at your hands. Mm-hmm. And you were holding the reins all correctly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about stagecoach driving? Because it's a lost art. There's not that many people well, that know it, how to drive a stagecoach. Not, uh, it's not easy to... Well, it's impossible to control six horses if they want to do something else. So you got to make them think it's their idea to start with. But uh, it's very difficult to control. I mean, if you pull back on all those reins at once, they're going to go boom, boom, boom run into each other, and then the coach is going to run into them. So you got to pull back like this. Like that. Get the wheel, get the wheel stopped first, then the swings, then the lead. And uh, I had to learn all this in three days. I uh, had three days to do it, because there wasn't a place, for, uh, there's in most places, when an actor is driving a stagecoach, a blind driver's inside the coach with the, with the actual reins in the, or the lines and the guy who's got them up on the, in the box, he's, he's got a pair of dummy lines. You got six uh, dummy lines, you know. So they're not doing anything there. You can do anything with them. You can do that, that, that. And the horses are gonna listen to the guy down below you. But there wasn't a guy down below me because there wasn't any place for a blind driver in this coach. <laughs> so anytime you see me driving, I'm driving. And I'm always, I'm always pretty tight in the sphincter. I'm, I'm always being a little, a little tense. But it all worked out. It worked out just fine. And fortunately because I had a good team. But the first first time I come up the hill, some idiot parked the hay wagon over here. And uh, I'm supposed to turn this way. I'm coming up the hill, and I start to turn this way. And the leaders start going like that. It's all in slow motion. So I started grabbing slack, <laughs> pulling back. And they start, slowly start coming this way. And they come up, and I said, whoa. And they hit the mark. And it's, this is all in one, one shot. I mean, I, they don't, there's no cuts in here. And I hit the mark, and I look down, and I look at, at Catherine Ross, who's in the doorway. And I say, uh, ma'am, is your husband home? Something like that. And then they cut, but we had uh, passengers in this thing. You know, we had uh, Louis Lamore's daughter in it, in this coach. And they don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and uh, I'm coming up the hill that the cameramen do, and the guy on the, at the standing at the wall, he's looking through his camera. He sees those horses go that way and then come back this way. And so he quits looking through the camera and he's looking over the camera like that, and he, said, he sees him turning, and then he goes back to looking through the camera, but he thought I was gonna run into him, <laughs> mash him up against the wall. But it all worked out. 
You eat a bunch of cookies in that movie. What kind of cookies was she baking you every time? You know, those were sugar cookies, but they were about three days old. <laughs> and those biscuits were as hard as a hockey puck. So, I, you know, I had to act a little bit for that. You did a good job. I thought you were thoroughly enjoying them every time. Well, I, I, they were kind of dry. <laughs> <laughs> You've starred in so many movies, so many television shows, but, you know, I was driving through Fort Worth, Texas. I don't know. It seems like the other day, but it's probably 20 years ago on the rodeo trail. And every time I drove through Fort Worth, I'd hear one of the most iconic voices I ever heard. It's 12 o'clock in Texas, except in El Paso, where it is nine. Ninety-nine-five, <laughs> I thought the wolf, I think. Ninety-nine-five, the wolf. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I did that for 20 years. And then they didn't tell me I was fired. They just didn't send the check. <laughs> <laughs> so I put it out on the internet that I'd been fired. <laughs> and then they were real apologetic. Barry? I know you're working on a big movie you can't talk about right now. Yeah. But do you have any other movies in the works right now that you're uh, gearing up for? Uh, well, I've got one that's that's already made. It's already in the can, but I don't know what they're going to do with it. It's uh, it's called. Uh, uh, it's a funny thing about love. It was called uh, uh, love and laughter and app and pumpkin pie or something like that. But I played the patriarch. The patriarch usually means you're in the power. Well. I'm a patriarch who everybody thinks is, uh, is is gone daffy, and so they won't let me have any sweets. And so every time, the first time you see me, they open my closet and I'm in there eating cookies. So it's uh, it's it's kind of a funny comedy, but it's uh, also got a nice message. It's a Thanksgiving show. And so if they can get somebody to put it on Thanksgiving, I imagine it'll be on TV around Thanksgiving. Otherwise, it'll be on Walmart shelves sometime next year. Well, I can't wait to watch it. We're going to watch that as a family, Jimbo. Absolutely. I'm going to invite you over when it comes out. Okay, we'll get it. Yeah, I, yeah, y'all watch it and then tell me what you think. Oh, yeah. You told me the other day that you've been in over 200 movies and television shows. Yeah. Out of yeah. all those you've worked on, what's been your favorite so far? My favorite. I know the one they paid you for, but besides that. Uh, I guess because it was the longest uh, would be uh, Northern Exposure because I, I got to know that character real well. Uh, not that I liked him particularly, but I got to know him real well. And... Uh, I suppose that one, as far as uh, as far as stage work goes, I think my my favorite now would be Charlie Goodnight playing Charlie Goodnight, uh, which is uh, I mean it's so much fun to do, you know. I I'm a, play a 93 year old man who's uh, who's dying, 
and uh, and he knows it, and so he's uh, he he relives his life basically, talking to uh, people in the he he's in the, in his bedroom talking to people. He doesn't know whether he's talking to ghosts or people coming in to watch him die. So it's a kind of an interesting uh, interesting concept. You lived in New York. Mm-hmm. You lived in California. Yep. But where do you live at now? You don't have to give us your address because we ain't going to be coming for you. I live in Fort Worth. Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. You went home to Texas. Yeah. Yeah, I went home uh, about 25 years ago. Been there for 25 years. Let me do a little thing for you, just uh, if I can remember it right off here. Just a little Shakespeare. I want to hear it. You want to hear it? Yes, sir. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and each man in his time plays many parts. His acts being seven ages. At first, the infant, mewling and puking in his nurse's arms. Then the schoolboy with his satchel and shining morning face creeping like snail unwillingly to school. Then the lover, sighing like a furnace, with a woeful ballad writ to his mistress, eyebrow. Then the soldier, full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, jealous in honor, sudden quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. And the justice, in fair round belly with good cape on line, with eyes severe and beard of formal cut, full of wise souls in modern instances. And so he plays his part. The next age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon with spectacles on nose, pouch on side, his youthful hose well saved, a world too wide for his shrunk shank, and his big manly voice turning again toward childish treble, pipes and whistles in its sound, last scene of all that ends this strange eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion sans teeth sans taste sans eyes sans everything there we go i'll be dang jimbo the guy can act a little bit i know it 
I couldn't imagine him playing Shakespeare, but after oh, hearing no. that, why? All I can I imagine him playing is Barry Corbin, and then he just uh, he blows my mind right there. I know, absolutely. Wow. You know, Ben Johnson always said there might be better actors out there, but nobody could play Ben Johnson as good as he could. I kind of feel that way about Barry. He can really play Barry Corbin. You know what? I've, I've got I think he could play Ben Johnson. Yeah, he he could play anything. Could. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a uh, picture of Ben at home in my office. He signed it uh, to the best actor in Hollywood outside of me. <laughs> Keep up the good work, Barry Corbin. Your friend always, Ben Johnson. Yeah. Well, Jimbo, it's been a great day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this has been a banner day here at the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum. Do you got anything? Well, just for thank you. For, he's really made her. Thank you for coming in because he's really made her day, and uh, I'm sure people will love this podcast. Uh, we just love all the parts you've played. You know, like I say, you just seem like you're playing. You're so natural in everything you play, and uh, we're really big fans. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming and seeing us today, Mr. Corbin, and and we sure appreciate it. And. Uh, Everyone get out there and watch Urban Cowboy again. Y'all come out on the 19th. You're going to get this out before the 19th, aren't you? We're going to do, yes, we're going to get it out here in just a couple days. What's that movie theater's name down here? Well, it's the oldest theater in the state of Oklahoma. It's the Constantine Theater over there, right downtown. Constantine Theater. Yeah, come down on on, uh, the 19th, Saturday afternoon, the 19th. You're not doing anything. You You can come on over there. And uh, then they're going to sell tickets for a dinner afterwards. But we'll watch this movie, Conniger. You can watch me and watch me try to drive that stagecoach. That's good. I watching. don't have a wreck. I can tell you that to start with. So you don't have to worry about me. And uh, come on over and watch it. And uh, then we'll have a question and answer after that. And then we'll have some supper later. So. Come on in. It's going to be one heck of a good time right here at Ben Johnson Days, June 19th, right here in Pahuska. Come meet Barry Corbin right for yourself. It's going to be an historic day in town. Well, that's good. Thank you all for having me. This this has been a lot of fun. Well, thank you, Barry, and uh, we hope to see you again real soon. We'll see you next week at the at the big showing. All right, I'll be there. All right, everybody, come see us right over here at the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum. And... We'll see you next week right here on Cowboys of the Osage podcast. See everybody next week. All right.